0: Feral
1: audio hey y'all welcome to another edition of tangentially speaking i'm feeling pretty good uh went whitewater rafting yesterday on the deschutes river which was a lot of fun we we got a group on and did a half day trip out there which was just lovely so we're trying to take advantage of being up in this in the Northwest and uh see some of the world up here because it's a really beautiful area and the summer's short, so we're trying to hit it hard on the other hand, I'm also trying to get this book started and thank you to all you people who write to me saying, "Write that fucking book, dude. I'm not buying your t shirt till you write the book <laughs> fair enough uh yeah, yeah I was someone a friend of mine wrote to me this morning said, "How's the writing going and I said um it's like starting a book is like uh those guys who pull a truck with a rope attached to their penis you know what i'm talking about that's what it feels like it's the you know once you get it rolling i guess it doesn't hurt that bad but man the first tugs are excruciating so that's where i am now i've got a rope tied to my figurative penis with a truck on the other end and i'm trying to pull it so wish me luck with that Uh, this week's episode is the return of Andrew Gurovich, who is aspires to be my podcast Power Bottom. Uh, we'll see how that works out. Uh, we have a really good time together, and I think um, our perspectives complement uh, each other in an interesting way. So I've invited Andrew to, to co-host a few episodes, so um, we'll see how that goes. And... Um, you know, he's he's a busy man, so he won't be able to make it very often, but when he does, I'm sure it'll be fun. Um, and anyway, so this is the return of him. The first episode, if you haven't heard it, really go back and listen to it. A lot of people say it's like one of their favorite episodes I've ever done. And uh, it's one of my favorite episodes, too, um, because I didn't know the guy very well, and you know, I thought we were going to talk about his teaching, and he teaches um, world literature and world religion, so there's a lot to to talk about there, and he's obviously very well read in those areas, and so, um, you know, I looked at it as a a learning opportunity. What I didn't expect was for him to come out with all this crazy personal stuff, um, which was really fascinating, and, you know, I always feel honored when somebody um, chooses to share their, their life, their, their, the intimate experience of their life, as opposed to just talking about their work or whatever it is that, you know, the, the sort of excuse to get together. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it's a great episode, and a lot of people said get that dude back on as soon as you can. You know, we want to hear more of the story, and as you'll hear in this podcast, we cover a lot of interesting ground. But then at the very end, as I'm sort of trying to wrap it up, he <laughs> Andrew drops in sort of offhand uh yeah so my mother was this irish woman this girl who was adopted by a chinese family who was very high up in the new york chinese mafia you know oh we can talk about that some other time <laughs> yeah no shit we're going to talk about that some other time so that's the kind of podcast it is there's a lot of um interesting um tangents that we go down uh, what else did I want to talk to you about? I, I got an email. I get a lot of really great emails. I've stopped, uh, sh- giving shout outs to people, partly just because too many emails at this point and it would bore the rest of you, but also because, you know, I, a lot of the emails I get are from, there's a theme a lot of them are from young men who are at a pivotal moment in their lives. And I guess they seem, see me as some sort of, um, um, uh, you know, gray beard with some potential advice. So I don't know if I'm worthy of that, but I appreciate the, I I appreciate people who, who think I may be. So I hope, I hope, uh you know, when I do respond, uh, when I, I respond when I can and, um, and I hope it's useful to you. I, I got an email this week that was interesting. It was a guy, uh, oh, I, the other reason I don't do these shout outs is that on, I don't know who wants me to use their name. You know, I might just say someone's name thinking I'm saying, hey, and, and then, you know, the guy's girlfriend hears it and it turns into a big problem. So I decided to, to drop that. Um, but I do appreciate everything that I get from you people, including the the criticisms. Um Anyway, so this guy wrote to me, he's a young dude, he uh, had a great job, uh, you know, making a shitload of money, and then he wasn't happy in his job, and he decided to quit and go travel for a year. So he got a backpack, went to Southeast Asia, and um, was traveling around, it sounds like he had a great trip all over Southeast Asia, Thailand, Burma, Myanmar, you know, all the really beautiful places. And he met a woman, a fantastic woman, and ended up traveling together with her for a couple of months. Um, And now life has pulled him apart again. I guess she's got stuff to do, he's got stuff to do, they're from different places, and there you go. So he's sitting in Bangkok feeling like shit. And man, I have... Spent plenty of time sitting in Bangkok feeling like shit. I'll, I'll talk about it in the Talking Out My Ass series, uh, which I am going to get back to probably tonight. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I have definitely spent some time in Bangkok feeling like shit. And um, so I could relate to what he was saying. And I, so I was trying to make him feel better or, or at least offer some you know perspective that might be useful to him. And the point of all this is, is that I think one of the most important things I've learned in my life that I, I learned from traveling is that the the sadness of that kind of travel... I'm not talking about going on a fucking vacation, right? That's a whole different thing. You go on a vacation, you're counting down. You're like, okay, I've got 14 days, 13 days, 12 days, 11 days. It's a different way of looking at travel. When I was traveling, and I think when when you know this guy probably is similar... You're gone for a year, two years, three years when I was traveling, I wasn't limited by time. I was limited by money on in my early you know Asia trips. I had ten grand okay, so I'm traveling till this ten grand runs out or you know something terrible happens back home and I need to get there. but assuming nobody dies and there's no like disaster, I'm gonna just travel till I run out of money so that's a very different way of looking at travel because. You get to a beautiful little place. I mean, Pushkar, for example, was one for me in Rajasthan in India. I got there. I was like, I don't want to leave here. I don't ever want to fucking leave here. So, and it's cheap as hell. So, it prolongs my trip to just stay here and enjoy this and get to know it better. And um, as you'll hear when I, and if you listen to the talking out my ass stuff, when I finally get to that, which will be down the road. Um, I only left Pushkar because I really had to. (laughs) I mean, if I hadn't left, they might have like ridden me out of town on, you know, tarred and feathered me. Um, But uh, there were other places like that too. Lake Toba, um, you know, Chiang Mai, I hung out for probably a month. Um, But you, you stay longer because the money lasts longer. And so your incentive is to travel slowly And give yourself a chance to really absorb and really and just, you know, because some some places the, the best way to experience them is in a hammock for like 10 days in a row. And you get up and you walk down to the water and you swim. And then the dude who owns the the little chalepas or the, the huts on the beach comes over and says, you want fish today? And he's got a spear gun and a mask. And you say, yeah, definitely fish tonight. Okay, cool. And he goes down the beach and he's asking, you want fish? Okay, you want fish? So he knows, oh yeah, nine fish tonight. And you see him go under the waves with his spear gun and he comes back up with nine fish on a line. And those are the fish they're going to clean, and they're going to put some garlic and some Thai chilies and some delicious lemongrass, and that's what you're going to be eating in like an hour. In the meantime, maybe have another beer and read a few more pages in this novel that you found sitting in the the common area there that somebody left, because there's a lot of, like, books, you know, lingering people bring books to travel and they leave them behind. Man, that is one of the best things about traveling you're not in a hurry on a vacation you're always in a fucking hurry you're trying to absorb get the most value out of your vacation that you can get i paid a shitload of money to be in this hotel in hawaii and it's raining i want my money back yeah you want your fucking money back because it's raining come on so it's a very different way of looking at travel but what i was this is all a very roundabout way of getting to the point the point is that when you're traveling when you're on the road you meet people and you connect deeply because you're both in this very intense part of your life you're both away from everyone else you're both away from your familiar world you're both growing because you're seeing all these new things and meeting new people and 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 seeing the world in new ways it's it's you're alive you're so alive you're so ready to love you're so ready you're deep everything's deep you know the sunset. You're, you're focused because what are you doing, man? You're hanging out. You're watching the sunrise. You're watching the sunset. You're taking a nap in the afternoon. Your stress levels are really low. You're probably smoking some good weed, depending what what part of the world you're in. Your mind is open. Your spirit's open. You're probably horny as hell because you're low stress. You're young. You're tr- you're swimming. You're like getting sun. You're lying on the beach, so your body's really awake. So what happens? You fucking fall in love. Of course you do. Like this guy did. Like I have. And then you leave. Or she leaves. Or he leaves. And then what? And then you're fucking devastated. Because the same heightened sensitivities that made it so easy for you to go so deep and feel so much make it hurt so bad. Right? I mean, they say antidepressants. They're not antidepressants. What antidepressants do is they don't just chop off the bottom part of the range. They chop off the extremes, the top and the bottom. When people are on antidepressants, they feel less, right? They're not just feeling less bad. They're feeling less everything. Sometimes that's what you need. Sometimes it's worth paying the cost of joy, so that you don't have to face despair for a while. But ultimately in life, you pay, right? You pay for the joy with the despair. And the thing about these travel experiences, and what I said to this guy is so true and so central to my sense of of life, you know, Duncan can get much more into the, the philosophy of this sort of thing. And this is something Duncan and I talked about in our recent podcast together where he, I think he said, uh, you know, go through life without the heart condom because it feels so much better. <laughs> you know, Duncan's great at, at, at articulating these sorts of things. Um, but my point is that uh, the sadness of travel, which is you're in a place and you say, okay, I'm probably never going to be here again in my life. I'm, pro- I'm very likely never going to meet this person again that I've spent the last hours, weeks, months traveling with, getting to know, getting to know in this deep way, the way that soldiers get to know each other. I'm sure it's more intense because there's danger added to the mix, but there's still the exoticism, the removal from your familiar world, the opening up, the fear, the you know, there's a lot going on that heightens the emotions and so you get this very deep sort of bonding and then it's over, it's gone, and that person's gone, that experience is gone and it fades into the past as unstoppably as I'm seeing the the waves of my voice on this recording moving past every second, just moving into the past and disappearing. Well, that's life, that's what's happening. And the problem is that when you're on the road, you see it, you feel it, you know it. It's marked by every new place that you see, enjoy, get familiar with a little bit and then leave behind you. That movement of time is so heightened when you're traveling. And when you're not traveling, you can almost ignore it because one day is like the next, like the next, like the next. And then you look back and you say, holy shit, it's been four months since I got here or five months since I got that raise, or that doesn't happen when you're traveling. uh, When I was traveling, I often timed my movements uh, with the moon. So I'd say, okay, for example, I remember I was in Kashmir and I wanted to, um, it was a full moon. Kashmir in northern India, up in the Himalayas. It was a full moon. It was in this place, um, Dal Lake, amazing, uh, Srinagar. Anyway, uh, I wanted to be in the Taj Mahal at the next full moon, and I did. I timed it. I you know took the different buses and trains and, and worked it out so I'd be at the Taj Mahal for the next full moon in Agra. And I remember saying. Oh, Holy shit it's been one month only one month it feels like years because of all the novelty all the newness all the things that have happened and the people i've met and so on and so forth so travel stretches time novelty stretches time because time is a measure of change that's all it is time doesn't exist in a vacuum if there's nothing there nothing changing time stops there is no time. Because how else? How do you measure it? You can only measure it by change. So if nothing changes, there is no time. And if a lot changes, time slows down to pack it all in. That's the secret of experience, in my opinion, that if you have a life full of change, full of novelty, full of interesting things, full of risk, because those things don't come without risk, you live longer. I don't care if you die when you're 27, you live longer than the person who gets up and goes to work and puts in their 70 years or 80 years and then croaks. You've lived longer, not only more interesting, not only better, but actually longer because time stretches for you. And so the sadness of travel is the sadness of life. It's the same fucking sadness. It's just that when you're traveling, it's right up there in your face. And when you're not, well, you can ignore it. All right, let's do a little business. This episode is sponsored by Ting, a cell phone service that charges you for what you use. Bitch! Bitches! As Rogan always says. I always, I like the way he, he uh, throws bitches into everything, but I, I always, I'm always afraid of offending people. So... Um, I don't mean it in a derogatory way, you know, assholes, whatever. What's the, what's the male equivalent of bitch, uh, dick, I guess, or I don't know, whatever. Um, so bitches, uh, Ting, it's fantastic. Uh, with Ting, you don't have to keep paying a monthly bill if you're using some other phone for a while, or if you're out of the country, talking about travel, that's that's the main reason I use Ting, is that if I'm in Europe for a month, I don't want to pay 50 or 60 fucking bucks to AT&T or whomever. I want to pay nothing or as little as possible just to keep my number, right? Ting, you pay six bucks a month to keep your number. That's it. Six bucks. Fine, perfect. I was, I used to, because I was coming in and out of the US all the time. Every time I came to the US, I had to get a new phone number. And my friends were like, dude, what the fuck? This is like the ninth phone number I've had for you. This was really confusing. I, I was hanging out with Dan Savage a couple of weeks ago. He said, Did you get my text? I said, No. And he shows me on his phone, he'd sent me like five texts. I never got them because he had the old number. So, with ting you get one number you keep it even if you leave the country whatever you're you know cruising around doing using a different phone whatever it is it's cheap six bucks a month you'll keep the number and then the rest of it you pay for what you use i mean it's it's common sense uh but unfortunately in the mobile phone business there isn't a lot of common sense so when you find it you want to support it um the the average business saves about 440 bucks a year per line on this Uh, 98% of all cell phone users would save on their monthly bill using Ting. So unless you're somebody who's like, you know, one of those people that AT&T or Verizon hates because you you buy this plan and then you like max everything out and you're essentially ripping them off, unless you're that guy, if you're just a normal person who uses your phone sometimes and sends a few texts and whatever, you're going to save money on Ting. So check them out. You know, you buy the phone up front, there's no big discount on the phone. But if you do your math, you'll see that, you know, within the year and a half, two years that you'll have that phone, you'll end up way ahead of the game. Uh, They've got a really nice uh, thing like right on their site that you can just plug in your monthly usage and they'll tell you what your bill would be with them. So you can make sure you're into it before you go. If you decide to do it, go to sexatdawn.ting.com and when you sign up, they'll... Uh, pay what is it? They'll even pay 25% to help you get out of your contract. They'll throw you 25 bucks for signing up, and we get some something from them as well if you sign up using that link. Sexadon.tang.com This episode is also brought to you by audible.com. You've heard me talk about them before. They are fantastic uh although uh, civilized to death i am going to insist that they let me read the damn book because we had a big um a lot of confusion with sex at dawn Uh, we weren't really thrilled with the the readers that they chose and we had to sort of argue and go back and forth and i offered to read the damn thing i offered to read it for nothing and they said no those fuckers Um, you know, but now that I can brag about having a podcast and, you know, whatever, an audience, then I think they'll, they'll let me read this next one. Um, I wish I could just read it instead of writing it, you know, that would be so much easier. Just sit here and read a book straight out of, I guess that would be called writing out of my ass. Maybe I'll start a new, a new podcast (laughs) with that. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audio book download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash sexatdawn. I had to pause while I turned to look at it. It's written over my shoulder somewhere. Uh, Yeah, great books there. They've got uh, over 150,000 titles to choose from. You can play them on your iPhone, your Kindle, your Android, uh, whatever. Your computer, that weird um, filling in your tooth that keeps uh, playing music, you can probably get it to play an audiobook. Uh, Dan Savage's audiobooks are great. Another one you might want to check out if you like really funny gay guys is David Sedaris. Um, if you've never heard him, Google him. He's got a lot of stuff online. He did stuff with This American Life, and he writes just very fucking funny shit. Um, his book, uh, Me Talk Pretty One Day, is fantastic, and I believe David reads um, his own book there with that. It's about uh, sort of fits into the theme of the day because it's about uh, his experience living in France. Uh, with his husband and in like a French farmhouse and, you know, the neighbors and learning to speak French and and the challenges of adjusting to a new culture. It's very insightful, very amusing, um, and it would be an excellent choice for your free download. You you got nothing to lose. Sign up, download a book, listen to it, enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, just cancel your membership. You pay nothing. No problem. Um, so check them out, audio slash sex at dawn. And lastly, um, they're not an official sponsor of the podcast, but I do want to give them a shout out Ergo Depot. Ergo Depot. <laughs> I can't fucking say it. I get caught in the Colbert problem, right? Like, do you pronounce that last T or not? Ergo er, Ergonomic Depot. I guess in American you say Depot, right? Um, e-r-g-o-d-e-p-o-t dot they do ergonomic furniture um they're basically importers and distributors of a lot of european stuff because i guess the northern european scandinavian designs are uh you know top of the line for the the, the sort of uh, chairs that you can sort of sit on or be standing up propped against and you know th- those sorts of things um, but they've got a desk that is uh, really fantastic, and they're they're letting me check it out. It's called the Jarvis. You'll see it on their site. It's um, it's a desk that's got an electric motor built into it, a programmable motor. And it's strong. It can it can support over 300 pounds. So you can have plenty of books on your desk and monitors and whatever crap accumulates on your desk. It can handle it. Um, And you just you press the button and it raises up to one of four um, positions that you can program. So you can work standing up for a while and then you want to sit down if you do different work. Like, for example, I like to read standing up. I take notes standing up sometimes like right now. I'm sitting down just because I've got whatever stuff I I need to, to look at while I'm uh, doing this but you know different activities you can stand up sit down stand up sit down and it's just press a button it's fantastic it's and it's uh, pretty uh, inexpensive for the quality of what it is I think it's under a thousand bucks so if you're someone who works a lot at a desk um, and you have you know any say over what kind of desk that is or if you're an employer who has people sitting at desks and you want to show that you love your employees uh, give them a shout out. Check out Ergo Depot because this desk is one that they manufacture. This is their own product. So it's, uh, it's a lot cheaper than the stuff that's being imported from Sweden or Denmark or whatever. It's very reasonably priced. I put it together myself in about 15 minutes. Uh, all I had was a screwdriver. I think that was all I needed was a, a screwdriver. Um, so it, it goes together quick it's very stable very steady uh it's a solid piece of furniture so if you're uh, sitting at a desk and your back's starting to go you're starting to get a gut whatever i can relate to that get you one of these desks and uh, spend part of your day at least standing up Uh, you'll you'll be much happier all right that's enough bullshit for me uh carcy blanton is going to play us in and uh, if you missed last week's episode with her Check it out. She's great. Take a look at her website. She's on tour right now. So if you get a chance to go see Carsey play, uh, you will not regret it. She is a magical, magical person. And if you listen to the podcast, you get a sense of how she became that way and what she's doing with it. It's fantastic. So check her out if you get a chance. CarseyBlandon.com. You'll find the, the tour schedule there. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling your friends about it. Ciao.
0: Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel Say what you wanna say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time? Or All right. like
2: it's a delicious black penis. <laughs> Sorry, Uh-oh, the, you're talking about the mic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had what? to work that in. That's what everyone liked from the first podcast. So I just the, the <laughs> delicious black penis. Yeah.
1: All right, uh, I'm here with Andrew Guravich and his delicious black penis. Uh, if you hear uh, traffic going by, that is what what street is that? 50th, or 52nd, 52nd. We're in the Woodstock district of beautiful Portland. In the midst of what I'm told is uh, called January around these parts. Yeah, no shit. It's June, and it's fucking cold. I'm wearing a jacket <laughs> and a flannel shirt. I look like a fucking lumberjack. I see
2: a patch of blue sky.
1: Yeah. Yonder. Yonder yonder, blue sky. Yeah, just barely. Um, anyway, uh, back by popular demand, Andrew Gurevich. Now, I was giving him shit earlier because... Um, you know i've i've tried to schedule this a couple of times and he's always tired and Man. worn out you know cuz he's a big shot teacher and he's how many credits did you teach Isn't 23 23 credits this term so he's you know dealing with finals and all that but then then this morning he says also i'd like a chance to uh, you know let, like go through what we're going to be talking about on the podcast so i can prepare prepare yeah, what I are need, you trying to do uh, I need man? sides man i need a trailer <laughs> <laughs> prepare this is a podcast i, I need this catering spontaneous <laughs> whatever flies out of our mouths you said this is going to be a conversation this is just a fucking conversation yeah we'll see and, and if it gets boring i'll just hit the pause button man. Like my
2: parents are sitting me down to talk to me about masturbation <laughs> that's, that's right hey that's by awesome. the way uh, ride, uh so. that was really fantastic uh you know i had uh irritable bowel or something as a as a as a child and uh, let's just get right to it i wasn't diagnosed (laughs) i just had a really fantastic yeah yeah, Yeah, i just spent a lot of time in the bathroom um so i was 13 or so and i was taking a dump and i would just be in there for a while and uh and there's this knock at the door and it's my parents and they're both out there and apparently (laughs) they thought i was jerking off and so they're like hey you know what you're going through is totally natural and so uh, it becomes this classic like like a Three's Company episode or something, right? Where like they're—I think they're trying to talk to me about what, like, how it takes about me an hour and shits. a half to take a shit, and I go, "Oh, everyone's like this." All right, well, I don't need to bring it up to them then, since I don't need medical attention. Um, and they're, you know, and for years we both thought that's what the other one meant when they had this whole conversation with me really? through the door. Yeah, that it was like perfectly fine. Uh, I had these urges, had these feelings, and I was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and, and, you know, little Andy, you probably want to do it with a woman soon. Yeah. Yeah. You're thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah what? I got to take a dump on a chick. <laughs> man. I need to shit on her. My parents are her? hardcore. Yeah. Uh, but then even after
2: I figured it out, I thought like, that's the time you're going to talk to a kid about jerking off is when he's jerking off.
1: Yeah, really? <laughs> you I'm, want to talk about a weird neural loop. Yeah, exactly. That'll, that'll get you all Freudian fucked up.
2: Um, I mean, I think about my parents every time I'm having sex, and so I don't really need to think about <laughs> it when I'm drinking off. You know, that's <laughs> funny, because I, I think about your parents every time I'm having sex. That's really strange. Wow. We have that in
1: common. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but I had a, an ex-girlfriend who, uh, I won't get into all the details, but we, we spent a weekend at her parents' apartment in Andorra, and it was her first sexual experience and, and her parents are really sweet about it mm. and they knew it was happening and they were Whoa. cool and they hooked us up with the apartment and it was this whole thing. Did but anyway. they, do they want you
2: like to produce the bloody sheet? Is that where this is going? Like oh a muzzle. You know what? We could have. Wow.
1: You know why? Oh. No, it wasn't blood. We, it was springtime, and we had a bowl of cherries in bed. And oh, at one point, wow. she rolled over on a fresh cherry, and it left this big <laughs> red stain. And we were in her parents' bed, too. <laughs> it's like down to the mattress, Wow. Man. And I'm thinking, it's a similar thing to you. It's like, they're going to think they know what's, what's going, going on, on? Yeah. and it
2: wasn't, even though it was. And how do you even try, no, 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 that's just a cherry <laughs> pit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. And in Spanish, <laughs> cherry doesn't have that double on top <laughs> right, though, so it's yeah. not even the joke, you know? And either way you're like, Yeah, I just threw her on top of the fruit and mashed her ass into it until you know, either way it's a real weird thing. Yeah, we were making cherry jam in your bed. Huh? What do you think of that? Normally it's like your dad's gotta come in later with the black
1: light and see what's going on, right? But you just, no, you no just need put it right black out there. Light. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> But uh anyway, so we we're up there and uh and her, they have a bidet, right? Because mm-hmm. they're European, <laughs> Fuck, they're yeah. civilized. Uh-huh. And but the fucking bidet was freezing cold water, <laughs> like straight from the glacier <laughs> into that bidet. Yeah. And there was no hot water. And I left it running for a while, and it's like. Finally, i said to her like what's up with the bidet she, oh yeah you know my my dad's been saying for 20 years he was gonna call a plumber and get that fixed and all that i see andrew looking at his notes right now by the way <laughs> I, I gotta tell you the whole spontaneity aspect of this podcast is out there, the yeah. fucking window hey,
2: man you know because of my chosen uh way to medicate for my multiple ailments uh, <laughs> i gotta write shit down or i'll forget it like last time uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> like for instance Okay, yeah 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 keep going
1: i should be taking notes <laughs> yeah. so anyway so i turn the fucking Thing so I I uh, <laughs> I, I says your father already tools around here well he has this and he had one of those like Silly little toolboxes that guys order like a late night TV, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly that are like the shittiest tools in the world. Got one of those downstairs, right <laughs> like, now. like guys who never fix anything, yeah, but yeah, think yeah. they should have a toolbox. So he had one of those, and I took the bidet like apart three sockets, yeah. And they're all stripped <laughs> the minute you yeah. look at them, you know. I use it to hammer <laughs> it's like chin screwdrivers. <laughs> and uh, so I took the bidet apart, and it was nothing even needed to be replaced, it was just like one nozzle had to line up with the other nozzle and tight it up it was like it took me 10 minutes put the thing back together and now there's hot water oh jesus so uh then the next time we had uh lunch with her parents they had been up to endor a few times and her mother had experienced the new bidet and we're having lunch and and um Her mother starts giving her father a bunch of shit, like jokingly. But, you know, Raul, you're not a real man. Look at this. Chris is a man. Chris is there one day. He fixes the bidet. 20 years. You never even get around to calling a guy, blah, blah, blah. And she looks at me and she says, Chris, every time I use the bidet, I think of you. (laughs) That's my mother-in-law. Wow. No anyway. shit. <laughs> anyway. <Yeah. laughs> so, so what were you going to say? Something you forgot last time.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, so you're giving me shit about these notes. And so uh, I was thinking about the, the first time we were on. And I think uh, for whatever reason, when we were talking about Leonard Schlein and the Babylonians and all that stuff, and I was talking about the origins of language, I kept saying Sanskrit um, when I meant cuneiform. And oh, I said it like six you, times, yeah. yeah. And then nobody called me on it, which makes me very angry with your audience. Yeah, no, I've
1: gotten uh, hundreds of emails about. Oh, nice. That. You just yeah. have filtered those out for me. Right? Yeah, I didn't forward those on to you, but yeah, no, we've got a very no one strong to ancient anything. language listening audience. Yeah, yeah, no one listened to anything
2: with the black penis part. But I was terrified <laughs> after that thing went live. I went, oh fuck, the Canadian forums. Think people are going to know? People are going to think you like get high and do podcasts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Clock. And I don't, I don't want them to think that. No, of course not. So no. Speaking of that, say something for a second.
1: <laughs> cover for me yeah yeah i turned my notes back over because
2: <laughs> taking a hit when you told another story about a spanish chick it's on my notes
1: oh really yeah yeah which spanish chick did i tell I the story oh oh that. i see you're i see you're adding them in now you're these are real live real time notes anyway so andrew was andrew wanted to get all professional about this and and i uh i told him that 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 just couldn't happen because the minute this becomes work, I, yeah. I I should be doing something else. You know, this is fun. This is just, you know, my other podcast. I don't know if you've heard the other one. I just started. It's called Talking Out My Ass. I haven't heard it yet. Yeah, I mean that's what the, they both should be called because we're all just talking <laughs> out our ass, right? Here. Yeah. So anyway, what do your notes say? Wait, let's let's see which. <clears throat>
2: Oh, Jesus, you want to see what my notes are? Sure. Yeah, the well, kineoform it's... thing was on there. Okay, so you uh, corrected that that yourself. Off. Uh, one thing says, if I'm going to be on here more often, I want to start
1: being called your podcast power bottom.
2: <laughs> I got it right there. It's first thing. <laughs> podcast power bottom. And what, and
1: what exactly is the power? Does that have anything to do with your irritable bowel syndrome? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it can, well, it might cause it, yeah,
1: for sure. Uh, my, my buddy had irritable bowel syndrome for a while, and... Um, He's, you know how you have friends, and actually, probably most of my friends fit this description. Like, I, I kind of feel like one of the roles we play in each other's lives is to give each other enough shit that that neither one of us has any chance of ever getting arrogant. Right, you know? right. And this guy's a genius. Like, he's a bona fide genius. So I take my role very seriously uh-huh. in trying to keep him humble. Uh-huh. But he uh, he had irritable, irritable bowel syndrome, and every time it came up, I referred to it as hysterical asshole syndrome, <laughs> which he didn't appreciate. And I'd send him these letters, you know, how's your H.A.S.? You yeah. Know? <laughs> you hysterical hey, you know ass. what you got to get is that damn, uh,
2: you guys got to get, you're going to get advertising, get squatty potty. Do you know this thing? I own one. This is the greatest thing. I'm trying to convince Celeste, and she won't have it, but I'm telling you, I'm just going to buy it and put it in there.
1: Yeah, it's not the same, though. No? It's not the same. A squatty potty, for those of you who don't know, assuming we're talking about the same thing, is like a little bench for your feet that yeah, puts yeah. your feet up so you're in a more natural squatting yeah, position, yeah. but you're still sitting on the toilet. Um, in Spain, we've got an Asian toilet in our apartment. We, oh, wow. We had it installed, and, you know, it was hard to find, actually, even in Spain. Um, but, yeah, I'm a huge fan of the Asian shit um, what would be the word there uh shit style
2: the uh and what is that you got to actually like hunch like there's no toilet just like a hole in the ground it's a
1: hole in the ground with two um sort of places for your feet two pads for your feet on either side and you just like stand and then squat down on that and hover over it and there's no contact between your ass and anything so it's like you're doing tai chi when you're taking a dump yeah, and I mean, you see yeah. little kids, right? Yeah. They, they just get into that position naturally, right? Right, right? And most of the people on earth, that's how they they squat. They just, not only to shit, just to like hang out waiting for the bus. Right. You know, like in China, everybody's like that. Asia, everybody, most of Africa. And it's just a much more um, natural position for your body to be in. It's like, uh, you know, women giving birth squatting. Mm-hmm. You know, they describe it as the baby just comes out all you need it's a difference between pushing something out of your body and relaxing enough to let something fall out of your body yeah yeah. yeah.
2: I'm gonna remember that if I'm ever in prison
1: <laughs> that would be falling into your body <laughs> yeah well, I mean, tomorrow I'm gonna interview contraband. a guy who was in prison 27 years oh no shit yeah yeah a guy here in Portland he uh, hey, what banks. were you
2: telling me when you were setting up um, about the guy you just interviewed about his background
1: oh it's not that I just interviewed him it's that I just produced the podcast oh yeah uh, it's going up Tuesday. Okay. Um, uh, Conrad Schmidt is his name. He's the uh, founder of the Work Less Party. Yeah. And the author of a book called Workers of the World Relax. So uh, people, if they're interested, you can hear that. That'll be in the archives. That'll be one or two episodes back from this one.
2: I think there's something to this, man. We talked a little bit last time about um, your whole work with the paleo movement. And I'm a real advocate for for dialing back this notion of uh, measuring a, a nation or a people or a community community in terms of productivity. Yeah, <clears throat> that's not going to serve us in, in any kind of new model, and it and it yeah. really holds you back from any kind of decent living or any kind of decent social arrangements because or a relationship. or, with or relationships, the yeah, with the planet, and yeah. that's going to yeah. have to change. Even in terms of physical health, I have a dear friend, uh, Tangerine Bolin, who. Um, She's a real interesting person. If she's uh, open to do an interview, she's real sick right now. She was a lead plaintiff in that case against the federal government with uh, Noam Chomsky and uh, Chris Hedges, uh, suing them over the warrantless wiretapping clause of American citizens that was in the Patriot Act, uh, oh, the wow. revision of it. Right. Um, well, that, that case, they won in courts. One of the only times a group, a, a, a civil rights group, has won a case against the federal government. And she's the was the lead plaintiff in that, and uh, she runs an organization out of Seattle called uh, Operation Truth, I believe. If I'm getting their name wrong, that'll be my cuneiform of the next be time for we're next on. Week. yeah Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, um, she's real ill right now with a neurological illness, and uh, that mysteriously came about after they won this lawsuit. Yeah, I'm not even kidding. I don't even know what to think of that. We can get Joe on that to look into it. Um, but we were visiting her the other day when she was at the doctor having some treatment, and it, it occurred to me how, how blissful a, a state of normal is. You know what I mean? Like when you just are healthy yeah. and like your organs are working right. We were just talking about the squat. Like when you can just take a dump that doesn't like hurt. or yeah. like, I mean like if that stops after surgery or when you're old or something, you realize how, how amazing it feels to simply feel normal and i think when you're over here before talking about people in the paleolithic from what we can gather or even tribal peoples today unless there's something wrong unless some there's a storm or someone company is taking their land they don't they don't work a lot you know what i mean like they secure yeah. food yeah for the day they deal with you know uh, uh, upgrading a leak in the roof or something if there isn't and then they hang out with their friends and with their people and and don't do a lot so this this work less thing yeah, it flies I mean, right in the face of everything we're taught in this culture, which is right. to devote the your entire life to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I remember as a kid. Today's Father's Day, by the way. Yeah. Happy Father's oh, Day. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah, speaking of work. Yeah, um, I remember as a kid, um, my dad. You know, I, I had to cut the grass. Mm-hmm. You know, that was my job, and my parents were were very lax, very loving parents. And, you know, so it would always start off like, you're going to cut the lawn, and, you know, then there will be, a you know, an allowance, and then they would just give me money anyway, even if I didn't get around to cutting the lawn, or I'd do a shitty job. And so it was always a struggle. Like, you know, they wanted me to take pride in it. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, you know. And I remember one day my dad, like, taking me out. I must have been 12 maybe, I don't know. And I'd cut the lawn, and of course I'd left all the grass around the trees and rocks like yeah, untrimmed yeah. and you know I probably missed big patches <laughs> and I still do like I shave and it's a fucking disaster. Yeah, it's like, like you should see me trying to do my pubes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually you shouldn't oh, see that. I don't <laughs> want to see that. Jeez. This power, what are you the podcast power podcast bottom? Podcast power bottom. I got to I got to <laughs> wax know. baby. I don't know. <laughs> this is getting out of hand. <laughs> anyway, my, I remember my dad walking me around the yard and like pointing out all the shit I'd missed and, and saying I remember him saying to me and it wasn't in a it wasn't in an aggressive way. He wasn't trying to shame me, but I remember him saying with with true authentic consternation, mm-hmm. like, don't you take any pride in your work? And I remember saying to him, no, no, what is there to be proud of? I'm pushing a machine around Uh, a yard. This grass is all going to grow back in a few days. Yeah, exactly. What? I don't get it. What? It's like
2: stocking things on shelves and then people take them off and then you stock more on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you, I worked retail, I lost my goddamn mind. I was like, why should people just take shit off the shelf every time I <laughs> why stock it? Why should I put it yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, that was manic. the genesis of Costco, right? right. That's like, why people go postal because it's the same fucking thing, right? Yeah, and you, there's a meaninglessness in that. How do it you all? balance that with like artisanship? Like when, you know, you spent time in Europe and somebody who's like a craftsman and making furniture or cheese or, or yeah. wine or something, I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. How do you balance that with, you know, fuck off, I don't want to mow the lawn? Because I totally hear what you're saying in this pride in work is a very new world, old world. It's a very Neolithic model. Right? The work will set us free, but that was the yeah. Nazi idea. But you yeah, know what I mean? Do right. you, you understand bite, the question? Fry, yeah. yeah. How do you balance that with a yeah. appreciation for artisanship?
1: Well, I mean, look, I, I think like all artistic... Well, it's kind of like gets back to what we were talking about the podcast, like you wanting to prepare and me saying fuck that. Yeah. Because I kind of feel like like if there's not immediate pleasure involved, Mm -hmm. I don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I never learned to play a musical instrument. So I'm not bragging about this. I'm not saying this is the best approach to life. You know, I couldn't wait six months to get good enough at playing guitar to enjoy it. Right, right. So I never learned, you know. And there are a lot of things. And my buddy, who I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. the hysterical asshole syndrome sufferer, um, he's a fantastic musician, you know, like a prodigy. And so he'd always be at home doing his lessons. Right. And I'd be off fucking around. (laughs) Uh, Who knows what I was doing? It didn't add up to anything. Right. Um, So that, you know, he was the Spock, I was the Kirk, Mm -hmm. you know. And, uh, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm not I'm not saying it's it's the better approach to life, but I, I do think it's more of a hunter gatherer approach mm-hmm. to life as opposed to the farmer. Right? The farmer puts in the work for delayed gratification. The hunter gatherer goes and finds ripe berries and eats them. Right. There's no storage. There's no saving for later. There's this thing we quote in the book, um, where uh, a missionary, a Jesuit missionary, is with some Montagnier Indians. I think that's how it's pronounced. Although it's the French pronunciation, so who gives a shit? Uh, In Quebec, modern day Quebec, and uh, they're having a feast. And he says, like, well, you know, why, why are you eating? You caught five beavers. You guys are eating all five beavers tonight. And he noticed, like, they'll Mm. go, like, they'll eat so much, then they'll go puke in the bushes and come back and eat some more, like sort of Roman style. And he said, why don't you save some for tomorrow? And the Mm. Indian said, well, we'll just we'll catch more tomorrow. He said, "What if you don't?" He said, "Well, then we'll be hungry tomorrow." <laughs> it's like, like what, what is the problem That's here, dude? tomorrow, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tomorrow we're living here. So, yeah, I do think there, you know, and maybe this is just the way guys like us think that you know we're always looking for deep intellectual justifications for our bullshit. But I do think there there's some fundamental uh, schism between uh, an agricultural approach to life mm-hmm. and a hunter gatherer approach to life. Yeah. There's something about immediacy, and you said something that struck a chord with me earlier. You said something about how how blissful it feels to be to feel normal, or yeah. how blissful normal feels. Yeah. And I was thinking, I wonder, does normal really feel like anything? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like we're both healthy right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I assume your asshole is in working proper <laughs> yeah, working order. Yeah. And My bowel is not irritable; it's just uh, sensitive, <laughs> touchy. You know, it's just it doesn't pitchy.
2: like talking. It doesn't like talking politics and moody. religion. Yeah. You have moody yeah. bowel syndrome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no politics, no religion. Don't bring up. You know, <laughs> that's funny. Uh Don't bring up that? what happened in summer camp. No, you're <laughs> yeah. talking about uh, how normal feels. Right, it feel it's, like anything.
1: I mean, because the the what people always say is like, oh yeah, before I got sick, I never appreciated how great it was not to be sick. Yeah. Right. So there's a certain numbness mm-hmm. in not being sick. Right. Like like yeah. I'm, I'm not hungry right now. Right. So I'm not thinking about how wonderful it is that I'm not hungry. Right. Certainly. Yeah. It's the it's not until we have the, that's a
2: that's a interesting human um, facet that it's not until there's something we we lack something that we feel its lack right and it's when the loss of something i mean this goes back i mean in the study of religion when i look at uh you know even the hebrew bible when the jewish people are uh being given their covenant before they go over into the promised land they're told uh when you go over in that land and uh are given uh you know future generations of children and your crops produce and the land is strong and build this wonderful kingdom, don't forget God, right? And it's it's always funny. You always think the opposite would be true. That if you got a lot of shit going on in your life, you would you would forget your connection to the transcendence. But it's that uh, it's actually when things are going well that we forget our our um, immediate connection to the mystery of life. And what that really means is that you can fucking die in any minute. I think what agriculture gives us is this myth that we're not life is not contingent. Yeah, that we somehow yeah, are outside of this. Uh, Construct that we could go in any second. It seems like we bought ourselves a window of time right. to cr- to then do all of the other things we do in civilization, right? Right. In a hunter gatherer society, you don't have this excess in art and in music and in drama and in, in architecture and, and all, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, that's the thing. There's no accumulation, right? Right. So we <laughs> accumulate whether it's scientific knowledge or or artistic the the sort of you know as they say every every artist says you know yeah i was standing on the shoulders of giants yada yada yeah yeah," right like they don't have any giants they're not standing on anybody's shoulders they're standing Mm -hmm. on the fucking earth every one of them right so it's all like starting from scratch in a sense not to say that Hmm. hunter gatherer societies don't have culture Mm -hmm. they certainly have culture they have accumulated knowledge of the of their environment, of hunting techniques, of animals, of natural behavior. medicine, yeah. yeah. So there is, there is a, a, I don't know what to call it, science, but there's a, a body of knowledge that that's transmitted, it's Earth and science, and accumulating, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I wonder. I mean, I because I think this is something really fundamental, right? This sense of the absence of immediacy. Mm -hmm. uh, in our lives because everything is mitigated or, or, you know, everything is through a, through a bulletproof glass. It's Mm -hmm. like talking to the lady at the bank, you know, it's like, she can kind of hear you. You can kind of hear her, you can see each other, but there's, there's no way you're going to touch each other. And Mm -hmm. it kind of feels like that's, that separation has seeped into all of our lives in the modern world. And that's what's driving us fucking crazy, yeah. Right. That's what leads people to go shoot a bunch of strangers, or you know, to like antidepressant sales and anti-anxiety sales. I mean, all this. We're just so drugged up and suffering. What is it that we're suffering from, if not isolation?
2: Well, it's two things. Yeah, I mean, one is this idea of a progress trap that we create technologies to free up time that just end up taking more of our time. And the classic, I mean, the 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 example of all examples is the cell phone um, because we invented this thing that, that does give us a lot of freedom and potentially can free up a lot of time and give us a lot of access. Um, but then also it ties us down because now literally the, you know, we, we have certain relationships where, you know, people have direct access to us. And if we don't want to talk to them at the moment, they know we're ducking their calls. And if they send us a text or a Facebook message, they can even see if we've seen it already. And, so then it's like, hey, motherfucker, I know you've seen that already. You know what I mean? There's yeah. no, hey, I'm away from my phone. I just, you know, leave me a message kind of thing. People know now you're never away
1: from your damn phone. Not to even get into the whole social control issue. Yeah, you know, yeah, NSA right. NSA and all that.
2: And so one is these progress traps that, that we think are going to free us up but end up just heaping more responsibilities on us because then we think, oh, I can answer email from my phone when I'm waiting for the plane. You know what I right. mean? We just take on more work. Um, and more work because we think we can handle more because we can be more efficient with these technological tools. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing you're right, man, is this lack of connection. I mean, we, we just had a, another, uh, we just had a school shooting here in Oregon. It was a, a block away. It's one stoplight away from the school where I teach, <clears throat> where this shooting happened. Yeah. Uh, this one. It's like uh, a week ago. Yeah. Yeah and at Reynolds High, and uh, I, we have students, I have students in my classes from that are, that are currently Reynolds students or were like last year. Um, and there's a few things I've been noticing watching people fighting about this on the social media. One is that people always operate from emotion, uh, which is hard to have a, a dialogue about something. Two is they've been trained in this idea that only they're, they're, they're only looking for one thing wrong, right? It's, it's video games, no, it's the parents, no, it's guns, no, it's mental illness. Um, And so no one can have a a both-and orientation. No one can look at multiple causes. It's always they want to find the silver bullet, uh, uh, you know, for the unfortunate metaphor there. They want to find the one thing that's wrong. (laughs) Um, But then the other thing, I was was just reading uh, Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham jail when he was talking in the beginning about Super, Not settling for superficial analysis that's just looking at symptoms and not looking at causes. And when you look at causes of these things, that's exactly what you find. You find young, you mostly young, mostly white men who are, um, <clears throat> who are disconnected from the society in any meaningful way, right? And if you don't, there's an old indigenous saying is if you don't initiate your young men, they'll eat your society alive from the inside. And this is ancient wisdom that people have just this discontent. And, and lack of connection with themselves with their communities with the with nature with the cosmos and all of the above um and that festers a, a whole host of existential crises. you know what i mean that uh, these shootings are you know just the the latest variety of and then
1: so do you think uh, that this is just indicative of uh, an absence of significant cultural indoctrination that we don't have these initiation ceremonies or do you think that the absence of these initiation ceremonies and the social isolation that this signifies is an inherent part of western society
2: yeah that's an interesting question i mean we have a society that that does a couple of things like this particular culture is is you know obviously established in violence and then perpetuated in violence and so it you can't help but have a kind of gestalt, have a kind of underlying substrata that that says that violence justifies whatever means, right? The means justify whatever ends you want them to. I mean, this is right. how this is how we treat children, this is how we treat women, this is how we treat people of color. We have it's a, how we treat the rest have of a, the fucking world. It's how we treat the rest of the world. We have a yeah. system of enforcement, right? A police yeah. force, a military force, and yeah. so. So it doesn't surprise me that when people t- want to take things into their own hands, that they're they're that that's the choice. So, you but know, that's
1: the expression of it.
2: That's the expression, right? But yeah. the issue at hand is this issue of connection, and I just think that you know when you study, it's not that indigenous people haven't across the world don't do treacherous shit to each other, but but it's limited in um, in several ways. They have safety catches that that limit the kind of destruction that they do to one another and to the planet. And it really has to do with initiating the young men. You don't, you know, there's the old saying, there are no locks on teepees. Uh, and there's one that I was talking about with some f- folks the other day. And I said that you don't, Cherokee women and children are not afraid of Cherokee warriors. The women and children in Cherokee Nation are in, in, a, in a functioning, I'm not talking about now in the rez, but I'm talking about in a functioning Cherokee Nation. The women and children of the Cherokee Nation don't have to be afraid of the Cherokee warriors going nuts and shooting up a lodge, or something. You know what I mean? You're like making a, me
1: think of share. <laughs> of what? Share.
2: <laughs> Of share, <laughs> you know why? Okay, um, <laughs> do I
1: need to start wearing assless chaps? <laughs> why? <laughs> why? Well, if you want to be the power podcast bottom, <laughs> what am I going to do? No, there was when I was a little kid. Like Cher's first big song as a solo artist yeah. was called Cherokee Nation. <laughs> nice. Yeah, because she's part American Indian. Yeah, those, that's right. That's those right. We're in the days of you know, one of
2: a famous Indian. Yeah, right. yeah that's, that's cool.
1: Just after she ditched Sonny. <laughs> <laughs> poor Sonny. That poor guy, man. And then he skied into a tree. <laughs> <laughs> so. Right. But like was, Wiley Coyote, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. He was like a, uh, a state representative uh, or something, wasn't he? Right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> which also shows you. <laughs>
1: yeah, right, which is a metaphorical ski into a tree. With that
2: mustache skiing around like a maniac. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I'm reading a book. Uh, I'm almost done with it called Debt, The First 5,000 Years. Yeah. You heard of that book? Uh no. It's it's interesting. It's Oh wait, is this the one
2: that's uh that sold all the copies, The French Economist.
1: No, no, that's uh, no, that's uh, Capital. Okay, yeah, Thomas Piketty. Right, right. Pinkety. right, right yeah. No, this is. I'm, I'm not that trendy, man. I wouldn't mm-hmm. read something that everyone was talking about <laughs> right. now. Like I'd <laughs> right. get to it six yeah, years I'm from now if right. they're still talking about it. <laughs> no, this this is. Uh, it's an interesting book. It's all about what money is. What and and his argument is that before there was ever money, there was debt, mm-hmm. and and he really gets into some interesting. Stuff about you know metaphors, uh, you know how we, you know we're in debt to our friends, we're in debt to one another, we're born in debt to our society. Yeah. How the world economy is set up in this weird way, where America, since Nixon took uh, the dollar off the gold standard, yeah. the the sort of standard underlying the world economy has been dollars, right? And you know only one country has ever. Made a move toward getting off that.
2: And which one is that?
1: <laughs> well, it was Iraq. Oh, yeah, yeah. About three months before, you know, bombs rained down on Baghdad. Iraqi freedom. Yeah. 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 I don't know if it was Iraqi freedom or shocking off. Or shocking off. Right, right. I don't know. Wow. Um, but yeah, you don't want to, because the whole thing's a fucking house of cards. The whole mm-hmm. thing is just a fucking illusion. And the, what'll, bring the, the thing, the whole edifice down is when people start noticing that it's all bullshit. That money money's nothing. Yeah. It's meaningless.
2: Yeah, and it's a uh, there's a lot of people that have done great work on this. Robert Anton Wilson was going oh, on yeah, along about sure. this back in the day, but uh, you know, the Zeitgeist movies, which weave yeah. in and out of of, um, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. consciousness. Uh, and um, and <laughs> I know,
1: so I was talking to Robert Sapolsky yeah, uh, yeah. in Mexico uh-huh. and he said who were, I think I mentioned, oh, I was asking him if he wanted to be on the podcast, I think mm-hmm. it was, and I mentioned some of the previous guests had been, you know, Andrew Weil and Gabor Mate mm-hmm. and whatever, and he said, oh, Gabor Gervich. Mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah of yeah, course, yeah, the great, yeah. the great Gurovich yeah. and his asshole. Black penises." Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he said, he said, oh, uh, Gabor Mate and I were, were both in that um, Zeitgeist movie. And he said, "Ask him for me, will you? Like, if he knew what he was doing when he got in <laughs> there, because I had no idea." Right now, every every time he goes outside,
2: every tin foil hat, Star Trek, yeah, was well, Jason. I mean, he said like some, some nice guy the, what, came to his office. Yeah, yeah.
1: He said some nice guy came to his office with cameras, and like he agreed to do an interview. And you know, he, he thought it was just another History Channel documentary. You know, I uh, know a lot of those cats in the uh,
2: in the hippie scene that. Um, are all jacked up they're truthers and um uh you know they um they're all into this COINTELPRO and the mk ultra there's a guy named jan Irvin on the internet who um anybody from the hippie movement going back to wasson and leary he ties them to the cia and tries to make this case that the entire um psychedelic movement was just a big way to distract a bunch of people from collective collectively organizing and
1: well, I don't know about that, but it, it is true that uh, Wasson was sure, sure. reporting to the CIA, sure, right? Sure, yeah. And the guy, who was the guy who McKenna. was in the Air Force who became like the main distributor of acid? He had been an Air Force oh, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. There's a great book about uh-huh. that. What's What was that book called?
2: Captain, uh, he's the guy that came to Harvard and first started dealing with Leary. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that and book Acid Dreams that uh, Martin. Acid Lee, Dreams. Or, yeah, that's
1: yeah. is that it? Mm-hmm. There, there that's is, one book that I know. Yeah, that that's great, the, great. That's telling a very good, good book. Maybe that was it. Orvin,
2: yeah. you know, uh, and, and I don't mean to disparage any of those, the truther or movement or anybody that looks into the history of what COINTELPRO is or MK Ultra. I think a lot of my friends from the in the Burning Man scene, I think, get a little bit obsessed with this, and it's a, it's almost as if they think world history centers around and starts with Richard Nixon and anything that happened in the 1960s or just before. And I, I think that looking into all of that stuff is uh, is certainly legitimate. And um, there's, a, there's a lot there. There's a lot of smoke, but then there's also a lot of fire. And um, you can get into a hall of mirrors, and it can get, you know, when you add cannabis into it, people get paranoid, and suddenly everyone's working for the CIA, you know what I mean? And so it can, it can be... Um, and Anybody who challenges them is now part of the Disinfo campaign, right? It can be a bit of a, of a mess. But the stuff that I work on, and not to say it's any better or any worse, just looks a little back, a little further back at where some of these things started. Because six, eight, ten eight, 10,000, 12,000 years ago, uh, some of the problems that are really manifesting now worldwide started, right? And uh, if we really want to dig into the causes, I think we have to go further back than Nixon. All right, yeah, to get at, but you know this was Hunter Thompson's problem, right? Is Nixon was kind of his arch enemy, it was his Joker. And as soon as Nixon was out of power, Hunter had nothing to do,
1: right? He, uh, one of many Hunter S. Thompson's well, problems. Right, yeah. <laughs> Besides hanging out with Johnny Depp, which <laughs> I like, I I love that. Did you and see John the and what, what was the of Breakfast the cool fuckers, with Hunter? Yeah. You ever see that? Yeah, that oh yeah, so yeah. great. Yeah, That's,
2: shit. it would make me nervous to be over there with all them guns. But yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd go out there.
1: Yeah, right. definitely. Yeah, there's there's a great scene. People who don't know, Hunter, uh, Breakfast with Especially Hunter,
2: kicking with John Cusack. Yeah.
1: John Cusack. yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah, John Cusack. I I I know someone who I was hanging or out John. with yeah. th- with this woman in L.A. I A. I won't say who it was, and she kept getting text messages and she started she got more and more irritated and finally she i said what's going on she said john cusack won't leave me alone and she showed <laughs> me all this. been there <laughs> he kept texting her john like cusack won't leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> right on
2: the camera tomorrow it'll be james franco <laughs> uh, yeah Poor my Jim. ex-wife's sister uh, charles barkley was coming after her for a while and she would play me his messages
1: Wait, wait, wait! Say that again. My, my ex ex-wife wife's sister. sister was getting stalked by Charles yeah, by Barkley. Barclay. Anytime they came to town, the Charles Barkley, Charles Barkley. Like, girl, I'm
2: looking for you. Who's <laughs> Charles? Wow, was she hot? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, totally.
1: White girl, black girl. I mean,
2: uh, my ex wife's sister, white yeah. girl, white girl. Am no. I allowed? I can't really. I hope my kid, I, yeah, my well, members it. are going to hear me say that. Well, no,
1: hot is an objective thing. Right, I yeah. mean, you can you can acknowledge it, right? right? Yeah. I mean. Hey. Not not more than once <laughs> hey uh I
2: got a you know so you came to my school and did the event uh-huh. and I was uh doing all the grading um and I had a lot of my students come to the event, and I got a lot of feedback from them. I had them write something up about their experience and uh-huh. all I mean you know so of the of the hundred and fifty things that I read uh hundred and forty seven of them were fantastic, right, but there was a couple of really choice uh um, complaints about the event, and one was from a student who I, who I who I know who it was, and who's a a very kind of religious conservative person. And she said, when that Chris guy read, I kind of tuned him out because all I remember him saying somehow was that um, bonobos make it okay to cheat on your wife, and cornflakes make you want to not masturbate. <laughs> And I thought, if we could somehow get the rights to that, that'd be a pretty
1: good blurb for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be good. I was thinking, you know how I started. In essence, it's what you talked about. <laughs> I, I gave, when I gave yeah. that talk, I, I started by reading the, the worst, most yeah, lethal, yeah. Yeah. toxic uh-huh. critique of our book. I was thinking it would be fun to have like really negative ver- uh blurbs on the back cover. <laughs> yeah, that would be, you cool. know, like don't this, buy this piece of shit. <laughs> this guy is a fucking Hack. idiot. Yeah, <laughs> all he talks about is balls.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. So, so, any any other good ones <laughs> critiques? Uh, that was that was the the one that stuck with me. I don't know. I'll look them up, and next time I'll find a few others. Most people thought it was great. Yeah, I don't no, want to disappoint, good. but. That's good. Nothing more, uh, like Eric Bogosian said in Talk Radio, nothing uh, more boring than people that agree with you, <laughs> but 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 people enjoy the experience. Man. Talk that Radio, that's
1: the show Rogan was on, right?
2: Oh, uh, no, okay, that was uh, News Radio. Oh, Wasn't News it? Radio. Yeah, Talk Radio was the Oliver Stone film with oh. Eric Bogosian, based on the play.
1: Oh, I don't think I've seen that.
2: Oh, man, you got to check it out. It's really good. Really? Yeah, it's... Uh, it's an Oliver Stone movie, and uh, Eric Bogosian's like this, and, and it's, I think it's a play he wrote. It's like a one-man act, <clears throat> and it's a true story based on this um, really controversial shock jock in Texas. Um, that's kind of like was like a you know a stern guy, but not like with all the sex stuff. Which just was like this real kind of uh, thorn in the side of the community, and it was just mm-hmm. you know he was a radio shock jock, and not, hard to pin down, and got, um, I guess was shot was killed because of his, uh, you know, because of his views or whatever. Really? uh, And um, Bogosian wrote this. This is a horrible summary of it, but Boghossian, I I, I mean, when I was younger, I watched the thing like a hundred times. It's a really good film, especially for you being in podcasting and stuff. You should check it out. And um, it's an Oliver Stone movie, and it's about... It's about the play, or I mean, it's just a basically a film version of the play, and I met Eric Bogosian at Powell's Books. He came to do an event once, and, uh, and it was right after I had, I had fucked my knee up, had some surgery, and I so was, I was on pills, I was on crutches, I had this big thing on my leg, and um, I had a copy of um, Talk Radio uh, the, the film, the DVD that I wanted them to sign. Right. And then he had like his new book, cause he's an author too, on a table on the other end of the room. And I didn't really care about him. So I, I, you know, I didn't need him to sign. You can really only get him to sign one thing. And when I wanted them to sign was the, uh, was talk radio, you know what I mean? Cause that's the thing that was more meaningful to me. And, uh, I was, and I'm on crutches. And so I was going to grab his new book on my way out and then just go buy them both. And so, he, uh, you know, I'm up there, and I'm nervous to meet him and shit. Like, you'd think I got performance anxiety. I, was, I used to be a nervous fucking wreck. Uh, so I go up there, and, uh, and he looks at it and he goes, you know, I didn't get a dime for this. I don't get any a dime in residuals for this film, man. And he starts going into how he doesn't get any money for the movie, and people still want to talk, talk radio, talk radio, talk radio. And I go, oh, that's a bummer. Uh, he goes, you know, you could help me out and get a copy of the new book. Like all kind of aggressive, right? And I go, hey, man, uh, I intend to. I just, I wanted you to sign this, and I was going to grab one on the way out. And he goes, hey, you don't have to lie to me, dude. If you're not going to get it, you're not going to get it. It's fine, right? (laughs) And then I go, like, Jesus, right? And now he's, like, hassling me. I'm on crutches, right? I'm all nervous to meet him. And so he was a real prick when I met him. So then I, uh, what a dick. Then I didn't buy the book on the way out. I absolutely intended to, but then I was like, hey, man, suck my ass. yeah. My hysterical ass. One day I'm going to be on a podcast and have my fucking revenge you on this book Ocean. <laughs> that yeah, day yeah. is today. Like, Dude, you're in under siege too. Don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> you're on that fucking train fighting yeah, Stephen Segal. And also, you
1: know around. what? You go buy his fucking twenty seven ninety nine hard copy book. He's yeah. going to get like two two fifty for <laughs> it. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah, so you know, what the yeah, fuck? Yeah. You know. I
2: had every intention of buying it. He can die. Yeah. yeah, so that was my thing with him. But hey, what I was gonna say before about the connection thing is, yeah, there's a guy named uh, Brian Swim who has a, a, a center for the story of the universe, right? And, uh, do you know him? No. Okay, yeah, Brian no, I'm just Swim. Oh yeah, guy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's a uh, it's a place that's uh, based on the work of Thomas Berry. And Swim is a cosmologist and a consciousness guy. And Swim's whole thing got that great film journey through the universe i think it's called and the uh, mm-hmm. universe is a green dragon a couple he's got a bunch of books out he's unbelievable um and his whole thing is is trying to he's a cosmologist and through and th- i mean through the science he's trying to retell the story of the universe and our connection to it and not in any kind of new age way and not in any kind of way that it requires people to believe any kind of weirdness or bullshit but that incorporates like a full awareness and understanding of the best of, of what we can understand about our actual place in the universe. And, uh, you know, it's called the deep history movement. It's in a few different things. And they're trying to get it into grade schools because if, you know, the theory is if we can start teaching children um, this idea of how they actually are connected biochemically, um, epigenetically, quantumly to, to the cosmos, to this 13 billion year right, cauldron mm-hmm. of creativity, um, that that people won't have this kind of existential crisis of self that we've really had since the Enlightenment, since we, we created the individual, and then right afterwards comes the psychosis, right, of separation.
1: We were going to talk about Julian Jaynes last time. Yeah, yeah, Didn't yeah. he come up? That, mm-hmm. that sort of ties into this, this creation yeah. of the individual and all this yeah. business, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. Let me think about that while I go get some more beer. Yeah, we're gonna pause. Is this a good? Yeah, let's pause right let's here. It. All right, we're back. We got our beer.
2: I'm missing a drink, but I got my notes and so. Oh, you want
1: to go get a drink?
2: No, no, it's fine. I'll just do this while you talk. <laughs> so what
1: the hell was I gonna talk about? Uh, okay, we talked about the five thousand years of debt. I recommend it. We're moving into Julian James mm-hmm. and the creation of the individual. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's another book I read that. Uh, i refer to quite a bit called uh, don't sleep there are snakes there which is a great account of these uh the pinaha people in the upper amazon mm-hmm. it's very interesting they're hunter-gatherer people and the guy who wrote the book daniel everett lived with them for 20 some years and uh he's one of the only non-pinaha people who speak their language because it's very very different from any other language in the world but uh it's just very interesting to, to sort of hold that up as a uh, comparison um, because of the th- things we're talking about here. Like, it's so easy to believe that the individual is uh, a human universal because mm-hmm. we are individual bodies. Right. But the way in which we consider ourselves to be embedded or not mm-hmm. in... i um, just making sure that's working In uh you know, in our societies and our families and so on. And, you know, as it's Father's Day, maybe this is a good time to, to mention this. Something I've been thinking about recently. I watched a TED talk given by Sebastian Junger recently. You know, he is, uh, he, he did, he I guess he wrote The Perfect Storm, which yeah, yeah. I have never read. But he's been uh, very active in, uh, he was in the Korongol Valley in Afghanistan, embedded with Marines for about a year mm-hmm. off and on. And he did a, a film called Restrepo. Yeah, 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 crazy, crazy movie. And um, anyway, so he was doing this TED talk, and he talked. He was talking about why, you know, the, the the great conundrum is, if war is so horrible as it undoubtedly is, why do these soldiers miss it so much when they mm-hmm. come home? And his answer is that. When they're there, it doesn't even matter that they're not fighting for something they care about, that it's complete nonsense, that it's uh, geopolitical subterfuge, Mm -hmm. that they're pawns in some scheme much larger than them, and yada, yada, yada. What they miss is the sense of being embedded in a group of people that you care about more than you care about yourself, that you will sacrifice yourself to save that unit. These yeah. are your brothers, and he said, "He said this sort of bonding, this brotherhood, has nothing to do with whether you like these guys or not. Yeah, because it's just like family. You know, you don't half the time you don't like them. It's random. I have a friend whose
2: uh, his book is right there. I'll plug him right now. His name's Sean Davis. He's written an amazing book called the The Wax Bullet War. He's a phenomenal author, and um, you know he talks about this in his readings uh, about this notion that he said before that um, you know he believes that he said that war was fun." For him, and people freak out, and it's not a PC thing for him to say. Right. And he goes, I don't mean, like, getting, you know, blown up. And right. several times that he did was fun, or, like, seeing people die, or being involved in killing people. None of that shit was fun. Right. That shit was terrible and terrifying. What was fun is all of these other things, right? This camaraderie, right? This ability to... I mean, things like work with all this amazing gear and stuff, right? But the thing he yeah. talks about more than anything is this level of connection to other human beings that you really don't experience um, in the culture in any way. And
1: Yeah. He, yeah. So, okay. Amazing book. Now, the connection to Father's Day mm-hmm. is that when I was listening to him say this, it occurred to me that I don't think I've ever loved anyone more than I love myself. Yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I don't have kids, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've loved women a lot, yeah. but I've broken up with all but one of them, right? or the relationships ended and I've gone on, and mm-hmm. you know, so my primary alliance has always been with myself, yeah, and you know, and I'm American, so I'm an extremely individualistic society. You know, you got parents, but it's sort of expected like the whole maturation process is one of just, you know, distancing yourself from your parents and saying, no, it's I'm looking out for number one now. I'm, the you know, I and so it's it's one of the uh, poverties of my life, I think, that I've never even for a week loved another person more than myself. I imagine being a father, you feel that. I mean yeah. at least that's what people report, you know, that mm-hmm. that you your whole life gets rearranged because suddenly you're not the most important person in it anymore.
2: Yeah, it's weird, you know, being a divorced dad. There's, you know, and I see my kids pretty regularly, but it's but that the, the, the interesting thing about it is there's certain times when I don't put my kids before me in a given situation um, but my rationalization for doing that, right. And maybe it's just cause I'm, you know, it's not, I'm on a strip club or something, right. But I'll be like heading to a conference or something. And it's never like when they're getting an organ transplant or something. And it's not like some big event, but you know, if it's an instance when I'm doing something for my life instead of, or when I can't do something for theirs, usually I'm thinking this will help them long term you know what i mean and so yeah there there they always factor in as a consideration because it's such a strange thing to to have taken it on yourself to choose to bring people into the planet who are kind of for a very long time and and you know one of the theories in human development of why we developed so differently than other our primate ancestors is the prolongation of childhood um and that really, and, and that gives us a dependent human animal for a lot of years. And and when you didn't, ha- when when you no longer have a cohesive family or community to raise a child, I mean, I think one of the problems now is everything is falling onto the shoulders of, you know, the father and mother or one parent or something, right? When when for a very long time, children were communal. And uh you know that that old Hillary thing it takes a village, but she was onto something, right, and traditionally, in indigenous communities, the children were an entity that kind of belonged to the entire community, just
1: and, like everything else did, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and 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 they didn't even think of it in terms of belonging the way we do. This is mm-hmm. something that's covered in this book I'm reading today, yeah, the first 5,000 years, this whole notion of ownership mm-hmm. and value. And they, they talk a lot about uh, bride price and how... Um, that's post-agriculture, too. Yeah, yeah, and the whole idea that you're buying the bride because of her value and so on. But he says that that's really a misunderstanding that we look at it that way, but in the societies in which it was being practiced, at least the, the sort of pre-agricultural mm-hmm. societies, um, that it wasn't, it, that... That the whole, the the goats or whatever that you were giving to the bride's family was a symbolic gesture, but that there was a deep understanding that it was the value of that person could never be paid back except with another person. Wow. And so there are all these systems of like, if I marry your sister, you marry my sister. Yeah. Or if I marry your sister, I owe you Mm -hmm. somehow a partner. Mm Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're I don't remember the society, but all these interlocking obligations got set up where like, okay, and I don't have a sister, or you're just not into my sister. Right. Then, I, then somehow my sister goes to someone else, now he owes me, and he's got a sister, and you're into his sister, so then we can seal the deal that way, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. All very, very strange stuff.
2: Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this move... This move from um from partnership to ownership it, it comes historically at the same time that we develop these <clears throat> these linguistic uh these written um uh linear writing systems, um Right. Ledgers. Uh, mass yeah, yeah, mass agriculture. Uh, like we were talking about last time, law versus taboo. And uh, the other great thing we can thank the Sumerians for is this kingship society, which comes part and parcel of that as well and this notion of hierarchy. Yeah. Right. And, and it changes our relationship to the land and to one another um, in, in profound ways. Right. And then obviously then the introduction of capital is just taking that to one, that, that same function to one more level of extraction. But you're right. It isn't based in anything
1: yeah yeah well listen guests are starting to arrive here and i don't want to be rude uh either to your guests or or to you are there other things on your notes there that we come, well, should well i want to come back hit? to the
2: julian james thing julian yeah, james i want to ask you and maybe about the dan savage uh controversy but i wanted to ask you about this uh you're about this kid in russia that committed a crime i think he committed a murder um and uh and this is what the reports are saying and in, in that he uh The authorities uh, are deciding to charge him as an adult because when they strip searched him at the prison, they said that he has a massive penis right and because of that they realize he's 13 but because he's got this huge penis they're going to charge him as an adult I'll,
1: yeah. I'll tell you what based on that i should be able to commit any crime and be charged as a child yeah, i was gonna say <laughs> right yeah i mean i would i could never get more than like probation for <laughs> juvie, <Back laughs> <Yeah. to> juvie. <laughs> you have the
2: penis of a three-year-old sir <laughs> <laughs> no i i oh, yeah. had not heard of that, that was pretty it's pretty cool very um interesting. yeah what i was talking about with the julian james thing is that there's some some folks doing some really interesting work in this ian McGillchrist's book talked a little bit about this last time um the master and his and its emissary the divided brain i'm, I'm probably misquoting the book but if you typed all that in you would get that um there's a wonderful treatment of this uh, jill Bolte taylor's stuff is really good on this um on neural psychology and the hemispheres and how that affects consciousness and identity and perception um, Jeremy Rifkin's even written some good stuff on this on the empathic civilization and all of it has to do with this um, rewiring of these neural nets that have to do with the way we perceive one another and the cosmos and it has to do with triggering these states of right hemispheric connectivity Right, they're technologies for triggering right hemisphere dominant. Right, we don't abandon the left, but we have to integrate it into a model of the right. It's using, it, it's bringing our, our rationality into service of our intuition, rather than the other way around. Um, and when people do that in any field, right, including in any relationship, right, all of a sudden, other, all of these things emerge. Right, all of these possibilities and potentiality emerges, right? And that's what I don't, I mean, <clears throat> the James book is a prototype of what was coming. It's there's lots of problems with it, and there's lots of stuff that's been written about it in the day. But there's been some folks that have taken this right left thing forward. And uh, I really think the Paleolithic cave art I've been reading this uh, Francine Shapiro book, this Getting Past Your Past. This this woman who found and discovered this EMDR treatment mm. that has to do that's incredibly successful. My friend Pete introduced me to it, and it has to do with um, using eye movement to reprogram people's um, neural nets and have them process traumatic memories where that are still sitting in a place where they're still experiencing the emotion, but the thing hasn't been integrated. And and you take what you need to learn from the lesson, right? As a life lesson, discard the rest and integrate it into a more Holistic self model, Um, and there's a lot that I think can be said that these, like these Paleolithic images, are a version of this. I think that they're that they are artistic technologies meant to help people program and reprogram their neural nets, right, to emphasize their states of connectivity to one another, to the natural world, to the cosmos, and at the time, this comes through this manifestation of birthing of goddess, right, of emergence, right, and so it comes through. An appreciation of the sacred feminine, but I think it's just another technology. I think uh, it's the same thing, just done differently, right? It's it's images meant to program the mind, right, into states of harmony and uh, balance with its surroundings. Okay.
1: Now, if we take take what you just said, yeah, yeah, images meant to program the mind into states of harmony with and balance and with balance its surroundings. with the surroundings, right? Yeah. So, harmony and balance with the surroundings. Is pleasure. It's pleasurable to be in balance and harmony with your surroundings. Uh yes. Right? So isn't all art aiming for that? Isn't all art aiming to give you some deeper sense of harmony with the world you live in? And I
2: think, you know, pleasure can be defined different ways. If you have to understand like cycles of nature and when to and when to go gather certain types of herbs and berries and when to Um, you know, and, and if there's hunting magic that will bring certain animals you believe into your vicinity so you can kill them and eat them and they're delicious, you know what I mean? So uh, like the, the pursuit of pleasure might involve temporary, um, uh, suffering or, oh, or displacement or sacrifice. Not if it
1: lasts more than six months. Yeah, in order to, right,
2: in order to get some further pleasure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've heard of this female orgasm, for instance. This is, like, <laughs> You've heard of I've it? I've heard of it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the Sasquatch. <laughs> the, or, uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Commented on, but never seen. Yeah, yeah, But
2: what I think is is it's all dealing with neural, neural and neuro-linguistic re- programming and reprogramming. Um, and these linguistic neural loops are the are the motherfuckers, man. I mean, this is the stuff Shlain talks about. Like, when you institute law codes, right, that's when you really can pull people into states of bondage and oppression and ownership, right? And, I mean, there you know, how, how many laws were there in hunter-gatherer societies? The laws yeah. were dictated by natural law, whatever that...
1: Taboo, not yeah. law, yeah. Taboo, yeah. Well, that's, that's a big point that he makes in this book, Debt. Um, you know, he says there are... It's true, the Steven Pinker argument, that Mm -hmm. there are probably lower levels of of overt violence right now than there had been in the past. But Uh what Pinker is ignoring is the structural violence, is the fact that this whole setup that we've got here is built on the assumption that if you don't play by the rules, you will be destroyed. Yeah, yeah. You know, like if you fuck with the ATM, you go to the bank, you rob the bank, the guy Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk to tomorrow, you know. It's like you accept there's a guy with a gun behind every institution we've got. And even more so, you know, internationally, Mm -hmm. you know, when you go overseas. I mean, it's so interesting how the whole debt situation is set up with the. the uh, International Monetary Fund and the World Bank and all mm-hmm. that—it's all about like you know, oh, you have to pay your debts. These debtor nations, Argentina yeah. and you know the, all of Latin America, da da da—they gotta pay their debts. Well, you probably know the story about Haiti, one of the first you know major international debt situations. Haiti was the first country to rise up uh, against their European oppressors, France, yeah. and they fucking kicked ass. Kick French ass, and then Napoleon sent a navy over there to retake Haiti, and they kicked that navy's ass. And so then what happened, right? It's the first black free state on the planet of former slaves rose up against them. And so then the rest of the world conspired with France to say, okay, fine, you won, you get your country. But you owe France hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. In, in, in today's terms, it would be trillions of dollars. For the the plantations and things that you've expropriated that were owned by your French oppressors. And so Haiti forever has been under the thumb of the world right? being bled dry. Any money they get goes right out of the country into mm-hmm. the coffers of the First World. They'll never pay it back. Right.
2: Right? So how's that any different from slavery? Yeah, I mean, you see the same thing in Mali. You see the same thing
1: Madagascar. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, most of the world is in a, a state of servitude and and debt slavery well to the i mean first world. noam
2: chomsky and um on oh, jesus and jimmy santiago Baca and mumia abu jamal and um melissa alexander and others have pointed out that our prison system in particular the war on drugs is a is a, a way to perpetuate the slave system in the united states i mean yeah you know, and Hederle there's a lot is, of
1: prison and, uh, industry yeah, I mean, when yeah. you have
2: African-Americans, um, you know, 11% of the population, but 60% of the prison population. Um, right. You know, 11% of the drug-using population um, of any drug, but 90% right. of those arrested for uh, crack cocaine use. Did you know uh, an Afri- a white male or ne- a white person has never been uh, uh, convicted, sent to jail for crack cocaine in Los Angeles County? Every, really? Yeah, a white person, not one. Um,
1: That's uh, funny. So instead of like saying we're going to charge you as an adult, they could say we're going to charge you as a black person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, is <laughs> hey, you got a big, big dick. We're yeah, going to charge you as a black man. <laughs> You're in big trouble, man. I like uh, uh, that <laughs> curvy enthusiasm
2: when they're wondering uh, if that's true and they're looking over at Muggsy Bogues and then the stall next to him, him, he and Jeff, he comes in. Uh, I don't remember, yeah, that's, a, that's a classic episode. Muggsy Bogues <laughs> is the small guy, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. he's a tiny yeah. dude. He's yeah. probably still packing heat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not
1: Miami heat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, shit. <laughs> Ouch. Hey, they're playing right now. Actually, it's the uh, they might be. If they lose today, they're out. I haven't seen a single NBA. Are you watching the World Cup at all? Yeah, I watched uh, a little bit of it. You know, I mean, I'm I'm sensitive
2: to some of the protests to it, but I also appreciate some of what soccer brings to the conversation. Being what they call an elegant game, it's you know thirteen rules. It only takes a ball. To play, you don't need any gear. All the mm. poor kids play it in every country. Yeah. It's a great equalizer in a lot of ways, but there's also and like the straight trafficking are- industries in Italy and other where that traffic players from an early age into the, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, but yeah.
1: They, they give them a lot of money too. And a
2: lot of broads, as yeah. my dad would say. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, watching it. That, that amazing game the other day, that header from. Oh, ben Van percy Yeah. yeah. Percy was, that was, was beautiful that was I watched beautiful. a little bit of the Swiss game and. Uh, Ecuador today, uh, uh, they playing. Yeah, yeah. I've been checking it out. I, you know, what's interesting is, uh, I really want. I, I don't. You know, the the gerrymandering of these NBA super teams. I mean, I guess you can make the case that both are. But um, I'm kind of pulling for the Spurs in this one. Yeah, I mean, uh, fuck LeBron. <laughs> I don't know why I hate this guy, but
1: well, and also the yeah. Spurs. You know, you get you get these these uh, polarities in mm-hmm. so many sports. I mean, the, the the Spurs are the team. Yeah, and the Heat are the mm-hmm. individual. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's the same thing we used to have, like the Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers, yeah. you know, versus the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys, right, right. Cowboys were all about, you know, flair and their stars. The Lakers and Celtics. Yeah. yeah. yeah in those you, days. Yeah. Exactly. You yeah. always get the like, oh, you know, Barca, Real Madrid is yeah, the same Jesus. thing. You got stars on Barcelona, but it wasn't, Real Madrid never feels like a coherent team because mm-hmm. there's no, they're all just guns for hire. Yeah. You know? They Whereas say that's one, one of the culture. best teams fielded in the history of the sport. Yeah. Well, they say that, but, you know, what they're basing that on is, is T-shirt sales. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's why they get these stars. they <laughs> from these video games, yeah, yeah, Seriously, yeah. Seriously, because yeah. they if make, as, FIFA, they make as much or more money
2: from the T-shirts and the video games. People like those red, those red and blue stripes. <laughs> red and blue? Isn't that one that Barca had for a while? Oh,
1: oh the Barca yeah. thing, yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, uh, yeah, purple. And, and, you know,
2: I went through a period of hating the Spurs just because I thought they were boring to watch, but they've been so good for so long. I mean, that's yeah. an enterprise they're running down there. Well, man. Tim I mean, Duncan is... It's an organization. what do I mean, right. he's been, tw- you know, 20-something points, 12 rebounds. And assists. Day in and day out. He's 12, constantly 15 assists for 20-something yeah. years, man. And I, I really enjoy uh, Tony Parker and Manny Ginobili, too. They're yeah. quality players. Yeah,
1: they've got a... It's very international. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's first time we've ever talked about sports. Oh, really? Podcast. This isn't like I, I thought. <laughs> I thought we were going to Oberman or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what do you think of Oberman? I miss Keith <laughs> Oberman. I like him. I he's th- like the Conan O'Brien of like uh, whatever the fuck he does, man. He can't land anywhere. Yeah. Well, now he's doing sports again. Yeah. but I mean, I used to watch his you know countdown every damn yeah. night. Why did
2: they? Why did they originally? It's kind of like Bill Maher. I mean, I think Bill Maher did fine by going to HBO. I think it was better for him than, than oh, staying yeah. on network but right. it was a chicken shit reason they got rid of him and i think overman was fine where he was back in the day on uh, it was like msnbc or whatever yeah. it was and yeah, i think that he was
1: the lead into rachel maddow
2: yeah and it kept the thing kind of edgy because now it all feels i mean now they got that woody allen kid
0: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right, to dylan yeah yeah to yeah and that freaks
2: me out because i'm always thinking about having sex with asian children every time i'm looking at <laughs> <laughs> Any Woody Allen and, and your oh, parents? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are your yeah, parents yeah. Asian? Jeez, <laughs> well, no, no. Weird. But you know, here's a funny thing. My mom, um, so her mother died giving birth to her. That's hilarious, right? Oh, so, that's yeah, really fun right. yeah. And uh, to follow that up, um, stay for the nine o'clock show. Try the veal. Um, but her, uh, her father died when she was pretty young, and uh, I think he was an alcoholic. And I think he got. I think the story is he was stepped off a curb and was hit by a bus when he was drunk. And so she went into an orphanage, and then was adopted um, by this family that was a Chinese immigrant family who, <coughs> excuse me, were very high up in Chinatown in the Chinese mafia in New York City. <laughs> I'm absolutely serious. I mean, Dude, you just, don't pull yeah. this shit out at hey, the man. end that's of the not, podcast. That's not in the notes post? either. No, we'll no. Write that shit down <laughs> for man. next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chinese, <laughs> Chinese <laughs> mafia. mafia,
1: and he's writing it with his left hand, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. I am a lefty. So your your mother was adopted. That's amazing because now everybody's adopting Chinese kids. Right,
2: right. She was an Irish girl adopted by a Chinese immigrant, and he was a high up in the Chinese mafia. I know that he was very physically and sexually abusive to her, and she uh, stayed in the fa- you know. But there was no kind of social services or anything back then, and she stayed in the family until. She was eighteen, and then she ran away immediately. I mean, left immediately, and went and joined the air force, and became a nurse in the air force.
1: And that's how she got into being a prison guard. Right,
2: right. And then that's how she met my dad. Yeah. Right.
1: Okay. Look, the whole the, the the main thing I wanted to do in this episode of. Yeah tangentially speaking was pick up where we left off last time with (laughs) your life story and get to like how you got from being a pastor in some fucking church yeah yeah to the pagan motherfucker you are today (laughs) oh my god and we didn't cover any of that that's true i mean we had see this is why you don't prepare right if you prepare like who knows you prepare for rain it's a sunny day you know i'm putting a me down on my notes <laughs> exactly. for next time to talk about exactly a list of one subject yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> myself <Jesus. laughs> exactly all right well listen we're being rude to the the other people here and also they're eating all the hors d'oeuvres so no you know we gotta have our priorities so thanks a lot, man. Miley Cyrus is going to be here soon too. So she's going to get she's out coming here. over, yeah, and uh, Justin work. fucking Bieber. <laughs> we get we didn't talk about Justin Bieber. Uh, so let's do this again. I'll call you. You know whatever the fuck you want to be Podcast called. Power bottom. Podcast power bottom. Is that like <laughs> topping from the bottom? Is that is that what a power <laughs> yeah. bottom is?
2: It's just like aggressively taking the cock. <laughs> Right. It's most gay dudes never want to admit that they're a bottom, right? Or uh, they're sheepish about really? it. Or they all, yeah, they all say, no, no, nah, nah, we just blow each other or I'm the top, right? Or if someone's uh-huh. a bottom, they go, like, yeah, you know, we trade off on that. Or yeah, you know, if I love a guy enough or if he pays enough, you get this right. kind of reluctance and it might just be with folks outside of their community. How do you know the guy, gay you don't, guys say you don't, this? don't meet do a guy hungry for dick in their ass a lot? Really? I'm making well, this maybe up. Maybe It's don't. my sense of the community.
1: I was with a woman once. Who said to me on our first date that she topped from the bottom. And I had no idea what topped she was talking about. Wow. I thought she was talking about sexual positions. And I still didn't know what she was talking about. Later That's- I figured it out. Well, what she meant was that she's she plays the sexually submissive role, yeah. but in a manipulative sort of way. Right, right. Um, which sounds sort of like what you're saying in a way. Like an aggressive submission. right yeah Yeah.
2: exactly you kind of it's like a you it's like in a dance situation where you're in the the other person's leading but you're kind of pulling them you're ginger
1: rogers with a normal person Right? Could you imagine, like Ginger Rogers' husband, how inadequate he felt? <laughs> yeah, that's a real bummer. Huh? <laughs> you know, it was like <laughs> the, the guy with the two left feet. Remember, right? You ever yeah. see that? And, uh, what was that movie? The Best in Show. Best in Show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's great. <laughs> All right. Listen. Let's go get some more durs. Thanks. Thanks for doing this again. Let, let's do it again soon. huh? Absolutely. You're you're Anytime. the perfect power bottom. <laughs> All right, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Andrew Gurovich. You'll be hearing more from him in future podcasts as uh, as my podcast Power Bottom and also as guest because he's got a lot more uh, to tell us. I want to hear that that Chinese mafia stuff. Um, as always, many thanks to Carsey Blanton. Many thanks to Shore Design T-shirts. By the way, if you don't know, if you're waiting for one of those Civilized to Death shirts, we've got them restocked. Go to chrisryanphd.com, go to the store, you'll see all the t-shirts there, Sex at Dawn, Paleo Modern, uh, and Civilized to Death, as well as some others there. And look around in there, because they're not all just standard t-shirts. Some of the women's ones are tank tops, and they look fantastic. Um, and Tangentially Speaking shirts. That was the one I was forgetting. So if you're up for a t-shirt, uh, Shore Design t-shirts are the best. If you don't want uh, one of our designs or you already have it, go to ShoreDesignTshirts.com and uh, put in Sex Dawn, one word, at checkout, and you get, I forget how much, but it's 10 or 15% off. Uh, they're great stuff and they've got all sorts of pants and yoga pants and, and Indian dresses and all sorts of uh, exotic cool Asian stuff. Check them out. Thanks. See you next week
0: you said, baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're going to say. body is an animal doesn't ask for much a little music and a soft touch why don't you let it out to play your heart is in a bird cage singing in your chest you want to shut it up or give it a rest you're gonna die one day why do we waste our time thinking about an obligation Wondering what we ought to say When everyone we ever know in my arms And if we must go down We'll go singing to the smoke alarms We'll dance into the ground